I want to tell you that um, you can get your Bibles out if you want to, but I'm going to be flying through Scripture so fast. Unless you were a Bible sword champion growing up in Sunday school, there's no way you're going to stay up with me. But you, you just keep, you fly through. Just do. But we'll have, listen, all the verses will be on the screen, and we also have a, a, a uh, on our Westridge app, uh, you can follow not only my entire outline, but all the verses. And I want to encourage you, um, not just to follow me while I'm speaking, but go home and meditate and think more uh, deeply on these verses and the truths of how they impact your life. When I was in high school, um, I was what many people would call a very, very good Christian kid. I was, in, in the Christian world that I grew up in, I was like the model citizen, all right? I didn't drink, I, I, I wasn't smoking, uh, I was a baseball player in Texas, so this was important. I wasn't dipping or chewing, all right? Um, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't having sex with anyone, I had my devotions nearly every day, and listen, I prided myself on never cussing out loud. And, and so I set my standards up way, way up high, and I, I worked extremely hard throughout high school to maintain them. However, when I got into college... And I experienced a little bit of freedom, like a lot of college students do. I began to struggle. And, and I got to this place where I realized I can no longer keep up all these standards that I've set for, for myself. So I entered into this season where I chose to lower my standards. And uh, there were some things that I did for a season that were flat out sinful. And there were things that I did that were not sins at all, but I grew up believing that they were, and they would make God mad at me, but, but I chose to do them anyways. And honestly, I'm going to be really honest with you, for a, lo- for a long time, I had a lot of fun. I mean, sin, the Bible talks about this, sin can be a lot of fun for a season. And I would experience some guilt, but I would confess, and I would try harder, but I would just, I would just slide right back into this, into this new season of lower, lower standards. But eventually... Again, the fun wore off, and I started feeling not just guilt about, you know, more and more guilt, but I began to experience a lot of shame. And the summer of my junior year, uh, I experienced a moment where my guilt and shame literally came to a head-on collision. I went through a very hurtful, somewhat nasty breakup with a girl that I had been dating for quite a while, and she decided that uh, she was going to uh, out me. On some of the things that I had did, that I had done, especially one thing in particular that happened my freshman year that was legitimately sinful, and of course it was before I met her. And unfortunately, there, fortunately for me, there was no social media at the time because it, w- it would have been really crazy for me in my little world that I lived in. But, but, but she did plenty of of, of harm through the good old fashioned telephone back that we used to use in the mid '80s when we wanted to actually talk to people. So. But I, again, I was devastated with guilt and shame because she took it upon herself that she's going to tell everybody that she knew and all our friends and her family just things that I had done, this and that. So when I found out about this, I'll never forget, I was, I was in my bedroom in uh, the summer of 1987 or 6 or whatever it was, and, and I got off the phone, someone told me what was going on, this girl lived in another state, and I decided... I'm, I need to come clean with my parents. I need because they're going to hear this stuff, and, and I just want to tell them I, I need to get all this guilt and shame off of me. And, and so I remember knocking on my mom and dad's bedroom door, and I opened it up, and I turned on the light, and they were, they were in bed, and they sat up, and I said, listen, I, I need to tell you, I, 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 there's some things that are coming out about me, one thing in particular, and, 
and, and I need to talk to you. I, I just need to confess this stuff. I need to tell you what happened. And I just, you know, it would just make me feel better. And, I, and I've, I've had tears pouring, rolling down my face. And I'll never forget my, my dad. He, he just said, Sonny, he said, I, I really don't want to hear what you have to say. Uh, and I'm like, no, I want to tell you. And he's like, no, I just want you to know. He said, whatever, whatever it is that you've done will never change how I feel about you, how your mom feels about you. Well, it will not change in any way, shape, or form how much we love you. It is not going to make a difference to us. So I just, I don't want to know what you've done. I just want you to know you are completely forgiven and it is gone. It's not, and I said, but I want to tell you. And, and, and he's like, son, I don't want you to tell me. I just want you to walk out of here knowing that you are completely loved and completely forgiven and it doesn't change a thing about how we feel about you. And so I, I walked out of that room and I, and I, gotta, be t- I gotta be honest with you, I, I knew that God had forgiven me. I knew God had forgiven me back in my freshman year, but I, but I, I had a, my skewed understanding of grace still made me feel like he was, that God was holding this, not only this, but several other things over my head. However, the extension of grace that I received from my dad at that moment and my mom at the moment just literally set me free. And it, and it set me on a path that I'm still on of truly trying to understand God's amazing grace. Now, I'm going to tell you the other side of the story. The next morning, I was at work, and my mom calls me on the phone. And she goes, hey, I, I know we had that conversation last night, but I'd really like to know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I told her, and she said, I just want you to know I forgive you. But she just had to know, all right? <laughs> And so, and it's never changed how she feels about me. She loves me regardless. But, you know, I want to tell you this morning, I know that there are some of you in this room right now that are swimming in a sea of guilt and shame. Some of you are literally, you're not just swimming in it, you are drowning in a sea of guilt and shame. You have done something or you are currently doing something that in your mind could never be pardoned. And here's how some of the conversations that you're having, here's how they're playing out in your head. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior, but I feel guilty and I just cannot forgive myself. Or this mistake will always be with me. I mean, it's never going away. It'll always be with me. Or maybe if I just try a little bit harder, perhaps I can be free of the burden that I feel on my life. Or I, I will, listen, I, I've done this. I will always be a failure. I don't care what you say. I don't care what God says. I'll always be a failure. Or I am damaged goods. I deserve all the bad things that happen to me. I made this, I, everything that happens to me, I deserve it. Or I think the Lord is punishing me. I think he's punishing me and I deserve it. Or maybe you're even saying this, God could never, ever possibly forgive me or forget what I've done. There's just no way he could ever possibly love me. Now, others of you, you might be feeling a different kind of guilt. Maybe you grew up in a home where performance was everything. And no matter how you performed, you never felt that you could gain the acceptance of a father or a mother or some other authority figure in your life. And so whatever you did was just never good enough, and it was never, ever enough. And somehow that has transferred over into your relationship with God. And so here you are, you live with this perpetual state of guilt that just hangs over you that says that no matter what you do, it's just never enough. It's never enough to please God. And as much as you try to love God and love your neighbor, it just feels like you're you're just doing something wrong. Or you just feel the sense that God is just always angry with you. I mean, why else would he continue to punish you with all of these trials and all of these difficulties if he wasn't angry at you? I mean, that just makes sense to you. 
And listen, even though the Father's goal, our, our Father's goal, God's, God's goal is to have a loving, intimate relationship with us, and we've heard all of the verses that confirm that that is true, it just somehow or, never, uh, somehow or another just never makes it from your brain to your heart. Or it never, even, it never gets past your ears into your brain to, to get to your heart. And it affects everything you feel about God, and it has trickled down into your emotions, and it has even trickled down into your relationships. Now, if you can relate to anything that I have said up to this point, I have great news for you. Because of God's grace, Jesus Christ has been sent to provide a rescue from our guilt and from our shame. Let me say that to you again. Because of God's grace, he sent Jesus to provide for you a rescue from our guilt and from our shame. Well, if we're going to be rescued from our guilt and shame, then I think it's important that we understand a few things about guilt and shame, what they are, where they came from, where they originated, all right? So a few things that are important. First of all, I want you to know there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the acknowledgement that I have truly done something wrong. It's the burden of responsibility that we feel when we know we've sinned against God or we have violated even someone else's standards. Shame, on the other hand, is the remorse or embarrassment experience when we feel that we've let other people down or that we expect to maybe somehow or another receive their scorn or, or even their ridicule. Dr. Uh, Brene Brown, who's an expert on the topic of shame, she describes it as an intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love or belonging. Guilt feelings focus on what we do, whereas shame feelings focus on who we are or how we look or how we relate to others. So there's a difference between guilt and shame, and it's important to know that. The other thing that we need to remember is that our enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he loves to mess with us in the arena of guilt and shame. Now, I want to go back to something that I talked about the second week of this rescue series where we talked about, uh, we talked about fear. If you remember, Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. They were tempted by the serpent to eat of the tree of good and evil, and they do. They, they, and, and they sin, and immediately when they sin, they experience guilt and then shame. And the Bible says that their eyes were opened, they realized they were naked, and so as a result of that, they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves, and then they hid from God. Now you remember, you remember what God asked Adam because they're hiding. And Adam tells God, listen, I hid from you because I realized that I was naked, that we were naked, and because of that, we were afraid. And you remember God's question back to Adam? He said, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Now listen, the guilt was legit. They had sinned against God. But what was their response? Rather than run to God, rather than go to God and seek forgiveness, in their shame, they covered themselves and they hid from God. That's what shame does. That's what Brene Brown describes as this intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love or belonging. And then God asks them a question, not only to acknowledge their guilt, but to question the source of not only their fear, but also their shame. Who told you that? Who told you that? Now, Revelations chapter 12, 10, chapter 12, verse 10, tells us that our enemy, Satan, he is the accuser of the brothers and the sisters. He is the accusers of Christians. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, reminds us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
I love what Charles Stanley says. He says, one of the most effective ways that the enemy keeps you from becoming a powerful champion for the kingdom of God is to turn you against yourself, discouraging you and paralyzing you from moving forward. And so with that said, we need to recognize the difference between legitimate guilt and false guilt. Now, legitimate guilt comes from our choice to sin. As a child of God, when we experience a sense of conviction, when we sin, here's what happens. We, we, we experience a sense of conviction inside of us. It's like a red light going off in your life. I want you to know that's legitimate guilt. That's a warning sign to us that we need to repent of our sins, we need to confess them to God, and we need to return back to the center of His will. Last year at Easter, um, during, after our Good Friday service, I had a someone come up to me and, and she told me, she said, I, I love the service, but I, I got to tell you, I can't relate to a lot of what was talked about today because I'm just not a sinner. I want you to know, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, I, I hear your response to that, but there's a lot of people that feel that way. All right, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. You say, what's his standard? Well, his standard is the law, and the law demands perfection. Perfection is the standard. And so perfection is what? Perfection is impossible. James chapter 2 verse 10 tells us, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. So before we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are pronounced guilty of breaking God's law, a holy law, because of sin. However, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are no longer guilty in the legal sense because Jesus has paid the penalty for all of our sins. I love what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says. Oh, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you are a child of God, you are no longer condemned. You are no longer an object of God's wrath and God's anger. You are forgiven eternally and loved unconditionally. So what do I do? What do we do with all these lies that keep, keep us focused on the past, keep me stuck in, 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 in sometimes in my sin nature, or even just keep me focused on the state of self-condemnation that I feel? Well, here's what we need to do. We need to realize that false guilt comes from wrong thinking. False guilt occurs when a person feels guilty or they feel condemned, but they have not actually done anything wrong. And here's how false guilt pro- plays out. False guilt plays out in three ways. First of all, it plays out in experiencing shame over believing something is a sin when it's not. Now, in my past ministry experience, before we moved here, it was a, on the church that I worked in, it was kind of an unwritten rule on our staff that we just didn't go to movies. We didn't go to movie theaters, okay? And it it was never in an employee policy manual. It was never publicly stated in a staff meeting, but you just knew, you just had this feeling in the environment that I was in, that it was just wrong. And so my wife and I, we, we, Amy and I love to see movies together. Some, our st- my staff calls us Siskel and Ebert. So if you ever need a movie review, uh, good movies, all right? But we, we just, we, here's what we did. We didn't go to movies during that season anywhere near where we lived, all right? <laughs> we would escape. But when we would go home, I'd go home, to, we'd go home to my, where my parents lived in Michigan, or we'd go home to where her parents lived in North Carolina, we, we would just, we'd go, we got to go see a movie. I mean, we're dying here. So, but I remember sitting in a movie theater, and even if I was watching like some G-rated movie, I was feeling like the movie police were in the house. Like there was someone in there from back where I was taking down my name, and it, I mean, I was going to experience wrath when I get back. 
Matter of fact, listen, I could list off a whole list of things that I was taught that was wrong in God's eyes, but were nothing more than legalistic preferences or beliefs that made me feel condemned. I'll tell you, you want to talk about the extent of it? When I, when I graduated from, from high school, I went to this little tiny Bible college that I could have felt like I was called to ministry. And, uh, and I remember I, taught, I, I took a class on Christian ethics that was taught by the president's wife, the president of the college's wife. And, um, and, and sh- I'll never forget, she did a whole class session on how the color red was evil. Now, there was never a Bible verse brought into it. But, I mean, she said, do not put any red carpet in your house, red carpet in your church. Don't wear red. I'm looking at all you red-wearing cart people out here right now. Don't, don't put red on your wall. Don't put, I mean, and I'm just taking notes and I'm just going, I, this is crazy. Can I tell you something? That kind of thinking and all, this, all the other lists that people threw at me, it never brought me closer to God. It just pushed me further away. And we got to a place with this little Bible college where we came to a mutual understanding between me and them that I was no longer to come back to this college. But listen, we can experience shame over believing something is sin when it's not. And that's false guilt. And it's also we experience, when we experience self-condemnation over something that has already been confessed and forgiven. Now listen, I run into people all the time that feel that God is punishing them for something sinful in their past. And I'll always ask the question, did you confess it to God? And they'll say many times. I can't tell you how many times I've confessed it to God. And I'll say the truth is, listen, you were forgiven the very first time that you confessed it. But as you talk to them, you realize they just can't let it go. Even though the Lord has let it go, they just, they cannot let it go. And their guilt has turned into shame, which can be a sense of false guilt. And they're experiencing what Brene Brown calls this intensely painful feeling that they're unworthy of love and belonging. Listen, there are some of you, there are women in this room right now that you you have experienced an abortion in your life. You had somewhere in your past, you, you had an abortion, and you, you just cannot let it go. You feel condemned, you feel shame, you feel guilt. Even though you have put that before God, you just can't let it go. There, there are men and women in this room right now that have had affairs. And even though you put it in front of God, you, you just can't forgive yourself. Guilt and shame. Some of you in this room, maybe you had a child out of wedlock, and it, I mean, it just, you, 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 you never... You, I can't forgive myself. God's going to hold this over my my head for the rest of my life. I can never be forgiven. Listen, I want you to know there are natural consequences to sin. And you can't downplay that or even sugarcoat the severity of the consequences of our sinfulness. Listen, people get hurt in our sin. Lives get changed in our sin. But I want you to listen to what God says about our confessed forgiven sin. He says in Psalm chapter 103, verse 12, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And I realize that there are people, and maybe in your life, that still hold stuff over your head for the things that happened long ago. And we live in a Christian culture, especially here in the South, that loves to lean very heavily on the side of justice rather than grace. And maybe because of that, or just your own personal feelings of guilt and shame, you just still, you cannot forgive yourself for whatever it is that you've done. And you may be replaying that sin over and over and over and over in your mind like a broken record. I mean, can I tell you something? God is not playing that record. God is not, for, he, he's not playing that in his mind. Matter of fact, in his mind, your sins are no longer remembered. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, he promises, he says, I will blot out your sins for my sake and I will never think of them again. The word blot means to wipe out or to destroy. That means that they are obliterated. 
At the moment you truly confess your sins to God, not only does he wipe the, the offense away, but he chooses. He chooses not to remember them ever again. In other words, he's not going to bring them up at some opportune moment when you are at your lowest moment just to remind you of how bad your life has been. That's not how he rolls, but that's how Satan rolls. And again, the Bible tells us that he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of Christians. That's what he does. And so when we start feeling these, fa- these, these feelings of false guilt and shame, what do we do? We ask the question, who's telling me this? You can never be forgiven. That will always be over your head. You need to say, who told you that? Because that's not God. The third thing is, we, a false guilt is when we experience guilt over something that was beyond our control but still made us feel damaged or sinful. Now, this is a tough one. You may have been molested or abused as a child. You, you've, and because of that, you just feel this overwhelming sense of shame. Even though there was nothing that you did wrong or there was nothing that you could have done to prevent the situation from happening. But you feel a sense of condemnation or unworthiness that just will not go away. There's this heaviness on your life that has left you feeling scarred. And again, maybe somehow you feel that God has punished you or is punishing you. Or you feel that somehow or another you were responsible when you weren't. And now your feelings of shame or over whatever happened to you has actually become part of your identity. You have allowed it to define you. And as a result, it has is, it is crept into how your relationships carry out, or it has impacted your emotions. Maybe it's caused you to fall into some type of destructive behavior. Now listen, before we talk about how to be rescued from guilt and shame, let me just tell you, and I want you to hear this, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to Christians especially things that are out of our control. And when those things happen, when we go through tough things, when we experience difficulties, it grieves the heart of God. All the suffering, all the trials, all the pain that we experience and all the stuff that we see around us in this world. Listen, none of this was part of God's original plan. We live in a messed up world that continues to be impacted by sin. And I know some people say, you know, could he stop it? Absolutely. And he promises that one day he's going to put an end to all of it. We're going to be freed up from all of it. But until then, we need to realize that suffering is part of our journey. And we're going to go through trials. And we're going to face some bad things in our lives. Even some things that are out of our control. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about wise and foolish builders. And this is so important to remember and listen to. Listen to me for a moment. Here's the the similarities between these, these two builders. Wise and foolish builders. But a lot of similarities. Both build houses. Both houses were hit by storms. Both houses face floods. Both houses experience hurricane-sized winds and rains. One house fell. The other one withstood the storms. You say, what made the difference? The foundation. The foundation made the difference. One foundation was built on what the Bible calls shifting sand. And that house fell. The other was built on the truth of God's word. It was built on God and it stood. In other words, if your foundation is built on relying on yourself or relying on your friends or even your kids or even some self-improvement plan, when storms come and they will, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. But if your focus is on God, not only will he carry you through the pain and guilt of your past, but he's going to help you through anything that you're going to face in the future. My mom's mom, May Haney, was one of the godliest women that I, that I knew. She came from a very tough home. 
Her parents were immigrants from Eastern Europe. She had eight kids. Many of them struggled in their faith, especially early on in life. And as a result, I, I have a whole slew of cousins who, who, are just, who, who have struggled. There's just lots of messiness. But I can hear my grandmother. In, you know, I just remember hearing in the midst of you know, her past and the things that happened and the stuff that was going on with her kids and with the grandkids, I can just remember hearing her quote, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, always in the King James, because that's, you, you couldn't quote it any other way. But she said it, and I'll never forget it, over and over, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. In other words, God is weaving all of our experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, to what? To conform us more to be in the image of Jesus, to bring us closer to him and to make us more usable in his, in his hand. But again, God has provided, by grace, he's provided a rescuer, a rescue from our guilt and shame. So how can we be rescued this morning? How can we be rescued from guilt and shame? Very first thing is we need to repent of unconfessed sin. Now listen, if you are not a child of God, the very first thing that you do, the first thing that you need to do is you need to, right this moment, this morning, you need to acknowledge your sins before God and accept Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as payment for your past, present, and future sins. That's first and foremost. However, if you are a believer, at some point in your life, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, but you are struggling this morning, you're struggling right now with the guilt of unconfessed sin, then here's what you, you, then you repent and you confess it to God right now. And here's the promise. 1 John chapter 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about the continued guilt, Brian? What about the shame that I feel? How do I deal with it because it's just wearing me out? I want to ask you a question. Who told you that? Who told you that? Identify the source of your guilt and identify the source of your shame. And here's something else I want you to learn. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Discipline of Grace, here's how he defines preaching the gospel to ourselves. He says, to preach the gospel to yourself then means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It means that you... You appropriate, again by faith, the fact that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God, that he is your propitiation, and that God's holy wrath is no longer directed towards you. Listen, most of the time, I realize, when we hear the word gospel, we think immediately of the message of salvation. But the gospel needs to be part of of what the Bible describes as working out your salvation. It's a big theological word, sanctification. In other words, as I go through the day, regardless of whatever, whether the day is cruddy, whether the day is good, I want to keep reminding myself of what Christ has done for me, and I want to live in that truth. I want to keep reminding myself of what Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, which says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the, one, is the one whose sins the Lord will never count against them. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love this one, Colossians 1, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Listen, here's what we need to understand. 
Here's what we need to understand. Because of what Jesus has done, and, and what Jesus has done alone, nothing that you have done, because of what Jesus has done, things are good between you and God vertically. You understand? Things are good between you and God vertically. He accepts me. He accepts you completely because of Jesus. And so when you understand the vertical, things are good, think of how, think of how it will affect the horizontal. If you can just understand, I'm completely accepted. I, things are good. Nothing's going to change that. I can't, I can't fall out of his love. Think of how it will impact your relationships. Think of how it will impact your emotions. Think about how you will learn to extend grace to others. Think of how it will just help you to live out the Christian life. So we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And then we need to replace lies about us ourselves with the truth of God's word. Listen, I know some of you, you're thinking, this mistake will always be with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the truth. Here's another lie. I'll always be a failure. I don't care what happens, what, what, what people tell I will always be a failure. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thank God he has made us his captive and he continues to lead us along on Christ's triumphal procession. We're on a victory parade with him of what Christ has done. And now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. In other words, not only have you been forgiven and not only have you been given victory, but God wants to use you. You're not a failure. Here's the lie. God couldn't possibly love me or even accept me after all that I've done. And yet Romans 8, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the truth says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. At your worst moment, God reached down and extended his love and gave his, his son Jesus for you. I don't know if I, can co- if I can go on. I just don't know if I can go on. There's the lie. And yet Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30 says, and Jesus said, in response to all the legalism and all of the morality and all of the, the, the false guilt that was being dumped upon all of the believers back in the time because of the Pharisees, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and all of you who are carrying this heavy burden that you can never, ever, ever fulfill and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give is light. That's the gospel. That's grace. And so what do we do with that? Here's what you do. You rest in and you operate out of grace. You rest in and you operate out of God's grace. Colossians 2.14. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by what? Nailing it to the cross. That means that vertically everything is good. Listen, I don't deserve that and neither do you, but that's grace. And we need to learn to find rest, just to rest in his grace. God, things are good. Vertically, we're good. Because of Jesus, we're good. But then 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by the means of his glorious, uh, marvelous glory and excellence. That means that everything I need to live in this Christian life has, has been provided for me by his divine power. 
everything I need to live in this life, to live out the Christian life, to live a godly life, it's all been provided by me, provided to me and to you by his divine power. Listen, I don't deserve that either, and neither do you. But again, that's grace. And so not only do we need to rest in his grace, but we need to operate in his grace. The grace that saves us and frees us from guilt and shame is the same grace that empowers us to walk confidently through the Christian life with freedom from guilt and victory over shame. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you so much for grace. And I thank you that out of your amazing grace, wonderful grace, you have rescued us, not only from legitimate guilt, and Lord, from just the sinfulness that we not only, Lord, inherit through the fall of Adam and Eve, but Lord, just the ongoing sins in our lives, Lord. You've rescued us. You provided a rescue through Jesus. But Lord, you've also provided a rescue from the false guilt and the shame that we just continue to put on ourselves. This feeling of unloveliness or unworthiness, Lord, that we just continue to believe about ourselves even though your word says something completely different. And my prayer at this very moment is that you'll help us to rest in your grace of realizing that between us and you because of Jesus, things are good. Things were made good at the cross. Victory was achieved at the tomb. And for some of you, if you have never experienced God's grace, I want you to know that by faith, you can receive salvation. You can receive forgiveness for just the sin of unbelief. You can receive a rescue from Jesus at this very moment. You can, things can be made right once and for all between you and God. Vertically, at this very moment, things can be made right forever. Just in, your, in your, just your own words, just acknowledge your sin to him, repent of your sin, and just by faith, say, Lord, I put all my faith and trust in you. I believe in you. I receive your forgiveness of salvation. Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we would stop this performance-driven, treadmill-walking, Lord, just lifestyle of trying so hard to make things right between me and you, to, to, to try to gain more of your love, to try and gain more of your acceptance. Lord, help us to rest in realizing, Lord, if we even just caught a glimpse of how much you really do love us, we'd be overwhelmed and floored. How much, Lord, you have already accepted us, we'd be overwhelmed and floored. There's no condemnation. Lord, we're, the wrath and anger that was put on us was, Lord, that we inhaled, that, that was part of our lives was all taken and nailed to a cross and was put on Jesus and would help would you help us to walk in victory from that and Lord would you help us to also realize that every day we can operate out of grace everything that the Bible calls us to be it calls us to do we receive the power through Jesus to accomplish all these things to not allow ourselves to walk back into slavery to not allow ourselves to walk out of your will by grace, by 
not only resting in grace, but operating out of grace. Lord, everything that we need in Christ, we have. What Jesus did, what Jesus did was enough. And I thank you for that truth. We just head still bowed. I mean, some of you, you know what? I just want to encourage you at this moment. Just conf- if, you have, if you have some sin in your life, confess it. And realize at this very moment you confess it, God chooses to no longer remember. He blots it out. If you're st- still holding on to guilt and shame that you've already brought before the Lord, replace the lies with truth. And just continue to ask yourself, who told you that? Who told, who's telling me this? Who's telling me this? I will no longer believe the lies of Satan. I will no longer believe the lies of this world. I'll no longer believe the lies that someone else is putting on me. I am a blood-bought child of God and Jesus and God. Call me friend. Things are good vertically. Lord, would you help it to play out in our lives every day horizontally? And we will thank you, even though it's so undeserved, we will thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.